Good evening, and welcome once again to Your Legal Rights on KALW 91.7 FM, San Francisco Bay Area. I'm the host of Your Legal Rights, Jeff Hayden. As we slide into the holiday season, the end of the year rapidly approaching, perhaps not rapidly enough for some, we present year-end tax tips for your income tax returns for 2022. How much has changed over last year? Are there major changes brought about as the pandemic legislation turns out? How best to respond to changes in my investment portfolio? Maybe my losses in crypto. What do I want to be doing between now and year's end? For that matter, what of a corporation? What do the managers and executives want to be doing between now and year's end? And what areas should they be focused? And as always, we're eager to hear what's on your mind and answer your questions. Give us a call at 415-841-4134. Again, 415-841-4134. If you're outside of the San Francisco Bay Area, call us toll-free at 866-798-8255. That's 866-798-8255. You can contact us with any question of taxation. You don't have to jump into the exact point we may be in our conversation. But bear in mind that just as a physician guest won't diagnose your family member based on a phone call, our attorney guests can't provide you with precise legal advice as they lacked all of the precise facts of a given case. However, we're happy to pass along the legal, the legal principles to assist you in your decision-making. And while their legal guidance might be the positions of their employers or their clients, our attorney guests are here to help. Without further ado, let me jump right into our guest as tonight, we have an all-star cast. To guide us through this overview, Frank Adam of Pacifica has always been a great supporter of both your legal rights and our Call a Lawyer Night feature. Frank is an attorney, a real estate broker, and a certified public accountant. Cindy Ho of Cindy Ho Law APC in San Jose has over 18 years of experience focused extensively on tax controversy and litigation. She possesses significant experience in advising and advocating for individual, small business, and corporate clients on numerous tax issues before federal and state taxing agencies. Ms. Ho has represented clients before the U.S. Tax Court, the U.S. District Court, the U.S. Bankruptcy Court, and various California courts. Without without further ado, Cindy Frank, welcome to your legal rights. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Good evening, Jeff. You know, I guess to frame our discussions, and before we go further, I'd like to post the bigger question. What do I want to be doing between now and years in? Well, Go ahead, Cindy. You can go ahead and start off, Frank. Go ahead. Uh, This is the same advice that we give every year. You have a little bit of time now uh, before the the reporting season starts. It's very important that you start gathering all of your information and organizing it so that when you're ready to file the return, you can give as much information to your tax preparer if you use one or um, you have information at your fingertips to prepare the return on your own. 
Um, it's it's very important to have to make sure that you have all the receipts for any deductions that you can substantiate and properly account for income. You have all your W-2s, 1099 forms, and that and the like. Um, doing it at the last minute will cause cause you to either over-report or under-report your income, and it can it can lead to a lot of problems. It can lead to inaccurate returns. So start gathering your information. I always suggest for business clients, if you don't have a formal set of books, that you compile your business information using a spreadsheet or some other reliable form of computation. Uh, for most businesses, if you don't have uh, any training in bookkeeping, uh, maybe it's a good idea to to hire someone to help you uh, create a a formal set of books. Let um, me also to oh, Go just ahead, one other you. thing to add is you know with a lot of people who do online banking, um, there's things that you may forget, transactions you may forget. I've had a few clients that they forgot they took out a insurance annuity or a retirement distribution, and the financial company doesn't issue uh, 1099R. Um, and so what I ask my clients to do is go through your bank statements because you'll see income deposits or just deposits in there. And that could trigger your memory to say, oh, I forgot that. And then you can reach out to the company, and get the appropriate documentation. Oh, and uh, to add to that note, if you are required to take a minimum distribution from a retirement plan, make sure that gets done before the end of the year. The penalty for not doing that is 50% on the federal side. Uh, that's a very large hit. So make sure that has been done. You have till the very last day of the year. Um, most brokerage firms will tell you how much you need to take and will advise you to do it, but it never hurts to, to follow up on your own. Let me turn to Terry from Oakland. Welcome to your legal rights. You're on the air. Hi. Um, I have a question about doing an excess contributions in a Roth conversion. I got some very bad advice about um, how to do it. And I, I had a sizable tax credit from a charitable donation I thought was going to cover most of the taxes and it didn't. So I ended up paying like tens of thousands of dollars more in taxes and penalties than I thought. Is it possible to um, get some of that back by filing a an abatement for the penalties and taxes, or or is there anything? Is there any recourse I have in um, trying to get some of that money back? I didn't do estimated uh, payments because I didn't think that it needed to be done. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm really stuck here. Hi Terry, this is Cindy. Thank you for your question. Um, you can ask for a penalty abatement. You had mentioned that you were given poor advice. Were you given that advice from a financial planner or your CPA? Who gave you that from advice? A, yeah, from, from a TurboTax and a financial planner. Okay. Um, there is a, um, so you, the standard to show to get a penalty abatement is called reasonable cause and professional right. reliance is right. you know um reasonable cause so you can if you have something in writing from your financial uh planner uh you can 
print out an email just to show this is the advice that I was given. Now, since you use TurboTax, you, you can't point to TurboTax because that's a software that you chose to use. But I think that any advice from the financial planner would be a good basis for an abatement. Um, and you can submit that request in writing. Um, and then you'd be eligible for abatement of that failure to deposit penalty. And then there would be probably a failure to pay the tax on time. So they might have hit you with that penalty as well. Yeah, the problem is uh, I did pay extra for triple tax for, for uh, CPA and tax expert advice, but they're not willing to put anything in writing. So they don't want to take any, any uh, responsibility. And that the tax planner information was online, so I don't I don't have anything in writing that somebody is okay. taking responsibility for giving me the poor advice. Okay. Well, if you have evidence, that is great because it it confirms you know uh, what happened. But I've had a, a number of cases where I don't have you know evidence or the professional doesn't want to provide a statement, and you can just provide your narrative and say, this is what I did. I paid extra for services through TurboTax and I got this online advice from this professional, provide the name if you can, um, and then provide those facts. And you can still get an abatement just by presenting the facts, even though you may not have an email or something in writing. Okay, so I already paid a ton of tax and penalty. So. Uh, should I just pay the rest of it and then do a form for abatement so that the penalties and interest don't keep keep uh, mounting? Yes, I, if you can, I would advise you to pay it off just because while a penalty abatement's pending, let's say you send that out today, that amount is still legally owed to the government and right, they can right. start collecting levy bank yeah. accounts, do all those type of things, and you want to avoid that. So if you can pay it off, pay it off, and then what you'll want to do is a claim for refund penalty abatement and if you Google IRS form claim for refund form 843, that's right, the form yeah. that you'll want to submit with your narrative. Yeah, that's I looked it up and I just didn't know if there was a chance in hell that, that anything was going to work. I, I saw that on the state side, they don't consider any any reason, any reasonable cause at all. It's just like you made a mistake. That's it. As far as I could decipher in, in everything that I read. But that the federal government had this reasonable clause um, that that you could appeal. Is that the, correct? The, um, the state offers uh, an abatement as well, same standard, reasonable cause. But let's let's just say this, just from professional experience, the state um, I feel is a much higher reasonable cause standard. It's much more yeah. difficult to get, but I have been able to get an abatement and partial abatements as well. They may not give you a 100% abatement, but I've gotten 50% abatements. Oh, really? Wow. Yes. Okay. It's worth yeah, the try. You're going to write the same letter. Might as well just put the state on there, you know, in a separate letterhead and send that out as well. And there's a, uh, there's a claim for refund form for the state as well for penalty abatements. Uh, do you know, offhand the, the number for that yes um i don't it starts with great maybe frank knows i, I can do, look it up i do have i want to add one other thing cindy and you can offer me your thoughts on this there is a one-time penalty abatement available it doesn't require a reasonable cause i've, I've been able i've successfully had that uh, i've had successfully had clients avoid penalty but only one time 
have you uh, no i've never i've never done that yeah. before yeah have you yeah, ever I'm, had a penalty before I've, I've had penalties but i haven't appealed it yeah it's, okay cindy do you think that that yes if, if so um, the look back period is if they look at the three uh, years prior and if you've always filed on time and paid your taxes in full you can ask for a first time abatement the oh, ones that would be eligible would be um, late filing and late payment. Um, Frank, does for estimated tax payments, is that included? I believe so, because in the, the last situation where the penalty was abated, it was the failure to withhold sufficient taxes that involved, the, uh, involved a, uh, a capital gain the capital gain was omitted from the original return, filed the amended return. There was a $4,000 or so penalty. I filed the first time penalty abatement application and it was granted. Yeah, it's very ironic because up until now, I barely owe any taxes at all. I've been very poor as far as my actual earnings, but I'm very rich in assets. So that's why I tried to, I'm 72 and I tried to avoid um, RMDs because I did this charitable uh, donation and, and got a, a big tax credit. So I said, oh, okay, I'll just put this towards the, um, you know, the rollover. And I, I try to do too much because it's, I guess you can only do it 50% of, of the income. And so that's, where I got in trouble. So the, the tax credit didn't uh, cover near enough of, of the um, conversion taxes. And I usually don't have to do any estimated payments at all because I don't make enough money. So I'm going from, you know, nothing to like $150,000 in, <laughs> in taxes for this big mistake that I made. Well, for the first time abatement for the IRS, you can actually call and they can grant it over the phone. So maybe start there and see if you qualify, call the IRS and explain what happened. And I've had them grant it right over the phone. Really? Okay. Mm -hmm. So I should you might have to wait a little bit. Okay. I, I, I did, like I said before, I did do the majority of the payments, uh, but not all of it. I still owe $55,000. So I should pay that and then hope that I can get it back. Uh, well, if you want to try the call first, call, try the call first. And if they grant it, if that covers the rest of the penalty, then you won't have to make the payment. Okay. Uh, but if they don't grant it, then you'll send your reasonable cause letter, make the payment to the IRS. Um, and then while that letter is pending, and then um, I just wanted to give you that form for the state equivalent for California. That's form 2917. 2917. Okay. All right. And I've been told, um, because I've never made enough money, I've never gone to a CPA or a tax advisor, or just a tax planner, you know, just recently, and their software failed. So it, <laughs> I'm... I'm pretty skeptical to just get on a uh, line and, and go for anybody. But I was told that I should talk to a CPA about this. But you're saying I could do these, these steps before anything major uh, would, would uh, happen? I, sh I should call them and, and plead my case and um, 
try to get it uh, taken care of just by phone. But then uh, if that doesn't work, then do the form 843, pay off the, the balance and, and do 843 and, and do the reasonable cause. Yes, that's right. Okay. Good luck to and you. It, this goes to show the old adage, hope for the best, prepare for the worst. Start yeah. down the line with the phone while getting your ducks in a row in case they say no. Yeah, yeah, okay. And is is there um, a place that <laughs> there are low low income CPAs? <laughs> Some of the universities have volunteer tax assistance programs, and they may be able to help you. Whether and it's generally students under the direction of an instructor or professor that perform these services. Whether they're sufficiently informed for this particular issue is anybody's guess, but you might mm-hmm. like try that. Okay, all right, yeah, because I'm I'm in Berkeley, so I'm near UC Ber- uh, Oakland, so I'm u- near UC Berkeley. So um, call their school of business or school of accounting and see if they have such a program. Okay, that, that's that's a really good idea because yeah, I. Uh, if that doesn't work, you might try calling the. Um, California Association of Certified Public Accountants, they are in Burlingame. They may be able to uh, give you some lead on where you could find somebody pro bono that'll help. Okay, thank you very much because, yeah, like I said, I, I don't make, I've, I've been on uh, disability for a head injury uh, since 2002, so I don't make a lot, but I got lucky with my uh, Apple stock, so I've got, <laughs> I've got a lot of stock, but not, yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Terry, thank you for joining us in Your Legal Rights. And while we are in Oakland, let me turn it to David. David, welcome to Your Legal Rights. You're on the air. Hi there. Um, I'm calling on behalf of my stepson, who's 26 years old. He and I were actually talking about this just today. He filed his 2020 and 2021 taxes by mailing in paper copies and has never heard back from the IRS regarding his uh, expected refund. And he tried just today, in fact, to go on the IRS site. He logged in, et cetera, and asked for refund status, and it said there's no information available at this time. So he and I are both baffled about what to do. There's not much you're going to be able to do. The IRS is very, very much behind processing paper returns. There are millions of them that haven't been processed. So is so it just I'm a not matter sure of that you're going to be able to find out the, the, the filing status? So uh, is it in, just a matter of waiting maybe a year or more, even though it's already a. Over I understand a that there are 2,000 returns from. As far back as 2019, 2020, that are awaiting processing. I don't know the, the the truth or the accuracy of that, but that's the that's the rumor. Well, at least that would explain it. At least you know that it's not a red flag of a substantive problem. I would follow through and stay with it. But sounds like it's likely, from what you're saying, Frank. Would you say it's more likely just a delay on their part rather than some indication that okay. something's Okay. Yeah, I, I think that's what's happening right now is that they're that the delays are as I understand it, the delays are due to lack of funding, lack of staffing, and of course um I, I imagine COVID is part of that rationale, but they are behind and they've received 
for lack of a better term, <laughs> complaints about the fact that they are behind. Um, it's generally these days better to file an a return electronically. Those are processed much more quickly because it's done via machine. Uh, but paper returns, someone has to disassemble that return, enter all the data, and make sure that things are correct, at least on the face of it. So um, yeah, yeah, that's you. the information I have. Okay. Um, paper returns are being processed. I will certainly forward. advise them to file electronically in the future. May I ask an end-of-year question unrelated to that one, or do you have other callers you need to get on to? You can jump ahead with, a next, with an end-of-year question, by all means. Yes. Um, so I would like clarification on uh, charitable contributions. I believe the new or relatively new tax law makes it much more difficult by by raising the income needed to qualify for, I guess it's itemized deductions. And um, for that reason, I think of many fewer people are eligible to deduct charitable contributions. Can you confirm that or expand upon it? My understanding is that if you, um, for individuals who don't itemize, if you're someone that takes the standard deduction, you can actually take a charitable contribution. And that's a deviation from, um, you know, the old rule, which was that you need to itemize in order to benefit from the charitable deductions. Aha. Uh -huh. Right? Would you agree? Okay. Yes, you, there are, you can still itemize to a degree, I'm sorry, you can still take a charitable contribution, but only to a degree. Meaning up to a certain uh, dollar amount? It's, yes, it's, um, to look it up precisely, it's in the neighborhood of 300 to, 600, 300 to $600 single married filing joint, something along that line. Total, total, not per deduction. In addition per, to, in addition, yes, in addition to the, the standard deduction. Mm. Okay, okay. I don't know of anything that makes it more difficult to take an itemize a, a charitable contribution deduction. Do you think Frank do, do you think that David's mistake, Frank, is that um I, I in saying you need more money to claim the deduction, I think what he what he may have heard had to do with them raising the standard deduction to where usually people at a lower level of income that might have still itemized have less incentive to do so. That's correct. Yeah, I think you're right. If you the standard deductions have been raised significantly. So if you have charitable contribution deductions and other itemized deductions that are below the standard deduction, the standard deduction is is better. Uh, you're not benefiting per se from the charitable contribution, but you are benefiting from the higher standard deduction. I see. I see. Plus, you can take that 300 or 600. Um, yeah, I'm looking that. Uh, you looking that up? Yeah. I don't. Let's see. Well, so we don't have dead air. Do you have anything? To... Well, David, I was going to ask you as he's looking this up. Um, are you somebody in the past who has tended to use a standard deduction, or have you generally itemized? I itemized prior to the change in the tax law and then went to standard deduction. But my taxes are done by an accountant, so the accountant uh, gets to worry about that. Um, however, so ultimately, you know, we may give you some direction, but in the end, your accountant's going to have the heavy lifting of figuring out whether 
your particular deductions are enough outside the beaten path to warrant actually itemizing as opposed to taking the standard deduction. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess it's worth knowing in terms of if I want to maximize uh, the benefit, the tax benefits of charitable deductions, which of course is not the only reason to contribute to charitable organizations, but that's something that many people consider. And often it might just be a, a consideration of how much. At some yeah. point, you're not getting any return or any, certainly any tax benefit from it. Right, right. Okay. We're well, waiting. if you're okay with it, I'm going to ask if you wouldn't mind taking your answer on the air so Off that air, we can respond to another caller as we continue to look for this, and we'll give you the answer on the air in a short time. Oh, I see what you're saying. Sure, fine. Thank you. All Thank you, David. Thank you for joining us in your legal rights. And let me turn it to V from San Francisco. Welcome to your legal rights. Yes, thanks for this wonderful program. My question relates to foreign property and related uh, rental income. So I am a naturalized U.S. citizen. I file a single with no dependents. This year, a few months ago, I inherited um, some residential property in India, and I share that with my sister, who also files as single, no dependents there. Um I also purchased retail property um, with my sister, uh, which we have not uh, received possession of yet. So we have had no income from either of the two properties. When we start receiving rent, I'd like my sister to keep the whole amount. And I have not done any paperwork in the U.S. on any of these properties. So my question is, what do I need to do? Hi, thank you for your question. So the first thing is that you had mentioned that you got this property as a gift. Um, So if you get a foreign gift, you have to make sure to report that foreign gift. If the value of the gift is $100,000 or more. So in your situation, I don't know if you got 50% of the property. So it's very important to get that property appraised so you know what the value of the gift was on the date of the gift. Um, well, so is that it might inherited? Be Does that make a difference? My mom. Uh, no, died. that's considered a gift. Okay. Yeah. So if you get it okay. upon someone's death, um, that would be considered a bequest, and that's a gift as well. So you'll have to report that inheritance if All it right. if it exceeds you know the hundred thousand dollar threshold. My share or the full property? Your share. So w- whatever your share of the the property is. So. Um, if the gift, if the inheritance is 50% of the property and that, let's say the property is worth 300,000, 50% is 150, you would be required to disclose that foreign gift on your 2022 tax return. What kind of form do I have to uh, report that on? And then the other, with respect to reporting income, you have to also keep in mind that when you are Um, receiving income from that property. You have to report that income. You can deduct all the expenses. However, you said you wanted your sister to have all of the income. Is that a gift that you're giving to her? What's the rationale for for doing that? Yeah, I mean, we haven't... It's not a formal thing we discussed, but, I, you know, she's not working, so I just wanted 
her to um, benefit from the income there. Okay. So if if that property is 50% yours and you would be entitled to half of the rental income, but then you're going to give it to your sister, you can give her a gift of up to $16,000, which doesn't require any sort of gift tax return reporting at all. Um, and you can do that, but it's still your income that you have to report, which you could give to her. Um, so, but if, if it exceeds 16,000, the value exceeds 16,000, then you'd have to file a gift tax return. And then I also want you to keep in mind that if you are going to have income producing properties in a foreign country, if you open up a foreign bank account and your foreign financial accounts exceed $10,000 in the aggregate, at any time during the year, you have to file an FBAR. So you have to make sure that you report that foreign bank account to um, the federal authorities as well. Right. Uh, may I go back to the comment you made about rep uh, reporting the property? Is there a form or a schedule to the 1040 that needs to be filled for the property that I inherited? The form is... 3520. 3520. Okay. All right. Thank you. And then for the commercial property that was purchased, hey, that before, we have not. I, I hate to interrupt you. Yet. We do have to break briefly for a station ID. We'll be back with you in just a moment. You're listening to Your Legal Rights on KALW 91.7 FM, San Francisco Bay Area. We'll be back right after this. Support for KALW is provided by the Bar Association of San Francisco. If you live in San Francisco or Marin County, the Bar Association's Lawyer Referral Service can arrange for you to meet with an attorney experienced in the area of law related to your situation. Call 415-989-1616 or visit sfbar.org for more information. And support for KALW comes from Other Avenues Grocery Cooperative, Other Avenues, providing the Outer Sunset and San Francisco with organic produce, specialty grocery items, a large selection of bulk foods, and craft beer and wine. They strive to support small, local, worker-owned, and black, indigenous, and POC-owned businesses. Other Avenues, located at 3930 Judah Street, between 44th and 45th Avenues, and open daily from 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. More information available at otheravenues.coop. And now back to you, Jeff. You're listening to Your Legal Rights on KALW 91.7 FM, San Francisco Bay Area. I'm Jeff Hayden. Tonight, we're offering up tax preparation tips for year's end. I'm joined tonight by Cindy Ho of Cindy Ho Law, APC, in San Jose. Ms. Ho is a member of the taxation section of the California Lawyers Association. Also joining me tonight is Frank Adam of Pacifica, a great supporter of both your legal rights and our Call a Lawyer Night feature. Frank is a certified public accountant, an attorney, and a real estate broker. If you have questions, my guests, our phone number is 415-841-4134. That's 415-841-4134. If you're outside of the San Francisco Bay Area, call toll-free at 866 798 8255. That's 866-798-8255. And as always, you can call regarding any question on tonight's topic. And we're talking about tax tip, tax preparation at the year end. 
any question related to taxation, you're not limited to jump in exactly what would be in the conversation. Let me turn it back to V. You had a supplemental question. Yes, thank you. So this question was regarding the commercial property that I have paid for, but the possession has not yet been received. Does that need to be reported? No, you, you don't have to report that property because that's uh, that's not a, a gift. It's a purchase. So you don't have to report purchased property when, when it's purchased. You only have to report uh, any income that's derived from that property. So when you rent out, after you take possession, you find a tenant, you start renting out that property, you'll be required to report income and deduct related expenses for that property in the year in which you start renting that property out. Great. And I have to report income regardless of how low it might be. I can give yes. up to 16000 but I have to report every penny, right? Exactly. But you get to deduct every penny. Um, so you can depreciate the cost of that property, um, any maintenance expenses, repairs, all of that. You can deduct that as well. Okay. I'd, uh, I'd like to go back to the, your question about charitable contributions. The There was a $300 deduction for singles people and 600 for married filing jointly. Uh, a charitable contributions deduction, if you didn't itemize that contribution, uh, a deduction expired in 2021. It's not available for 2022. So you won't be able to take it for this year's return. All right. I think that was for the previous caller. Yes, that was actually from David, but David's taking oh, his question on the air. Right. Oh, okay. Right. So I, I really appreciate the answers regarding the corn property. Thank you so much. You're very Thank welcome. You joining us in your legal rights. Let me turn to June in Oakland. Welcome to your legal rights. Hi, um, Jeff. I have two questions that I'd like to ask. The first question is about the real ID. Can you still apply for the real ID as the deadline to apply was October 23rd, I believe, but can you still apply for this without being penalized? A real ID for your driver's license? Yes. Uh, Real ID has been extended. You don't have to comply until 2025. And I was on the DMV website today and they have the application live to apply for Real ID. So apparently we're good. Okay, thank you. Now my next question is regarding a medical malpractice suit. I went to a dental clinic on October 13th where I had oral surgery. The dentist injured the tooth behind the tooth of the root that she moved from the tooth. So I have been in pain since October 13th. I have seen the dentist on several occasions. I had to go to her mobile van and see her because the tooth had got an abscess and it was infected. And I was in excruciating pain behind the tooth that she had injured. And I asked her how was she going to make me whole again. She told me that she was going to remove the tooth. I don't know if I wanted her to do any further dental work in my mouth. I was going to her a couple of other times, but I was unable to have her do or remove the tooth because my blood pressure was elevated so high. 
I had to go in the hospital four times behind this tube. And right now, she's out of town. She won't return until December 22nd. And I'm still injured and in pain. Do I have any legal recourse? Actually, you're a bit off topic. My guests tonight are very well versed in tax, but not about what you want. You have a case for dental malpractice, potentially. Being in Oakland, you might call the Alameda County Bar Association. They have a lawyer referral service. Their number is 510-302-2222. But I can tell you dental malpractice is very complex stuff. Even doctors don't track it very well. So again, Alameda County Bar, lawyer referral at 510-302-2222. Thank you very kindly. And I love this program. I'm going to support all of your different programs that I called in several times before. But uh, I'm telling everybody that I know to to tune in and to listen to all of the great shows that you have, Your Legal Rights, uh, the show with Terry Gross. All of those shows are wonderful shows, and people should be really listening to these shows and utilizing all our services. I'm a person who promotes that. So you have a donation drive, uh, I think, until Saturday, and I'm going to try to get some money together and just to give it to you because you deserve it. And I thank you so much for all of your help. June, thank you so much, and thank you for joining us in Your Legal Rights. Let me turn it to Nabil from San Ramon. Nabil, welcome to your legal rights. Hi, Hi Jeff. Um, I have a tax question, um, and it's for a friend. And um, this friend's in a divorce, and um, their spouse uh, was uh, uh, applying for Cover California, still claiming married filing joint and not reporting income. And then a friend, uh, her husband, got a letter from the IRS asking for a 1095A, and it looks like he was penalized. And my friend wants to know what to do uh, because he didn't uh, he didn't have any say in what was happening there. Uh, could you explain that one more time? I'm not clear on your question. Yeah. So. Uh, it would be it would basically be about um, uh, improperly reporting uh, the the income for Cover California during a divorce, and the tax effects or ramifications on the um, on the uh, on one of the spouses when the other spouse uh, improperly reports um, the income, and then. Uh, a, an IRS request for a 1095A uh, is sent out, um, and there well, is let's a possibility. Let me interrupt you for a second. Were yeah. they still married at the time the return was filed? Uh, it was, yeah, it's over a period of three years, and uh, there were several applications over the three year period uh, during the divorce, and the divorce not finalized, where the uh, uh, other spouse is, is claiming. Married filing jointly for the tax for for the tax information on the cover California, and in fact they was were married that the filing correct separate. filing status. No, no, it was not. What was the correct filing status? Married married filing separately, and then the the, the spouse that was doing the the health insurance um, 
choosing, was not reporting her income, and was underreporting the spouse's income, um, in, in, in making the making the family basically uh, medical, uh, putting the family on medical when they probably when they weren't entitled to it. And now the IRS is asking questions on on the other spouse still in the divorce as to what uh, where's your 1095A and uh, we might not give you health insurance anymore and we're going to make you pay a lot more taxes because of it. Was your friend aware of what her former or his no. former spouse was doing? No, no, no. He, uh, uh, he might be able, you might be eligible for something called innocent spouse relief if that's the case. Okay. Cindy, what do you think? Okay. Yeah, I think so too. Um, you know, with respect to the the filer who's providing inaccurate information, um, there's no defense there, but there's going to be additional taxes owed because they're not going to get the reduced uh, premiums for the covered California. Um, however, oh. the spouse that wasn't aware um, can be shielded from that liability if that spouse um, seeks innocent spouse relief. Um, they would have to be separated or divorced um, and then oh. provide a basis as to why that spouse didn't know that the return oh. was um, had this wrong information on there. So, um, right. so it's worthwhile to pursue. And that's that's with that's with the uh, with the IRS uh, specifically, uh, not necessarily Cal, you know, uh, cover California. You have to do your own reporting, fraud reporting. That right? Yeah. So um, for innocent spouse, that's for federal, and then also the state of California off, also offers innocent spouse as well. But I think that additional okay. tax is going to be for for federal, um, and then uh-huh. for in terms of the Medi-Cal. Um, you know, anything, if, if she's signing anything or she knows anything about that, I would, if, if I were her, I'd probably go to Medi-Cal and, and correct anything. I would not want my signature on anything that um, may have wrong information because you're talking about Medi-Cal fraud. Um, and uh-huh. so if she knows that information on there and her signatures, uh-huh. you know, on, on yeah. tax returns that were produced to the agency, I, I, I would notify the agency and, and yeah. provide them information that, hey, this information is incorrect and this is coming to my knowledge yeah. now. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, innocent spouse relief uh, for Medi-Cal fraud. Um, thank you. Nabil, thank you for joining us in your legal rights. And the next time we have this conversation that might involve Medi-Cal fraud, maybe you'll be on the other end of the phone and joining us in studio again. But that's uh, good to hear from you. Thank you for joining us in your legal rights. Uh, Jeff? Frank? Yeah, before you go to the next caller, I'd like to make a comment about the, the previous caller who had the foreign properties and the like. That was V. <laughs> no, he was the one asking about how he should report his income on foreign properties, et cetera. Go ahead. This came up several times during my participation in the call lawyer night. And the advice I generally give people, gave people there and to my clients is if you have such a sophisticated return where you have multiple properties and multiple sources of income, it's generally a good idea to engage a professional tax preparer. Tax laws are very, very complicated. The changes each year are complicated and subtle. 
uh, you might not want to just rely on casual advice, whether you get it from a radio show or from from friends. It's if you have that kind of return, professional advice is a is a darn good idea. It's very easy to make a mistake, especially in reporting the income and deductions of income producing property. Never a bad idea to get professional advice. If you're in the bracket where you can take a big hit, you're way ahead of the game spending a little bit to get the right advice and then make a mistake. You'll pay far, far more in the end that way. Let me turn it to Harry from San Francisco. Harry, welcome to your legal rights. Okay. Hello? Harry, you're on the air. Welcome to your legal rights. Oh, okay. Uh, I have three questions. Uh, First of all, uh, with regard to uh, empty units, do landlords get any tax credit for that? And is there an incentive to keep the units empty? And also for commercial units, the same thing. And I also wanted to know, uh, I think people should know what the current residential, current uh, renter's tax credit is, and if there's any, what could be done to increase it, because it seems to be very low. And I don't think that's fair. With so, regard, yeah, with regard to empty oh, oh, units, the, that, the state renters tax credit. Are you are you talking as a landlord? I want to make sure we I understand your question. Are you speaking as a landlord or as a tenant? Oh, I'm speaking as a tenant, and I'm curious because I think a lot of people like to know there's a lot of empty units around here, and I, I'm always curious: do they have do they actually get any tax benefit? And I think people would like, who people who do own property would like to know the answer to that question also for commercial and residential. And also, uh, the renter's tax credit, I think renters would like to know about that also and if there's any possibility to increase it because it seems really small compared to the benefits that landlords receive. Well, it seems to me that you're asking more of a, a, legislate, a question regarding legislation and the, the political issues that, that come with it. Um, there's... The only benefit that a, that a landlord gets for having empty units is the fact that they're not generating income. I'm not sure that that's necessarily a benefit. Mm, I thought they could. I thought they, I thought they could. I, I was wondering if they could get. They got some sort of a deduction from either the commercial unit or the empty or the residential units by keeping them empty. There's no deduction for keeping something empty necessarily, but there are the regular, ordinary, and necessary business expenses that every commercial, any property owner who holds property out, who holds out property for rent will receive. So if you have three units rentable and only two of them are rented, uh, the mortgage interest deduction for that entire building would be deductible. The fact that they're not collecting rent for a particular portion of time on one unit, it just reduces their income. I think, again, you're asking more of a a question that relates to legislation and politics, not necessarily a taxation question. I see uh, the the renter's tax credit. Uh, what is the current credit and who does it apply to? I, I believe the credit, it, it's a very small credit. I thought it was, was it $70? There's 120. I, I don't have the exact amount, but probably Frank can look it up. Um, and I know that when your income exceeds a certain amount, 
it phases out. And so, um, so yeah, if, if you would prefer to have a larger tax credit, that would be talk to your state congressperson um, and to have that person propose legislation to increase the credit um, and then maybe increase the phase out threshold if, if you're not benefiting from that. Um, yeah, the credit, but, to answer your question regarding the amount, it's $60 if you're single and $120 if you're married or head of household. But it's a non-refundable credit. If you don't owe any taxes, um, you're not going to be entitled to the credit. Right. I understand. It's a deduction. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for joining us in your legal rights. Earlier in the program, when we were talking with Terry from Oakland, who was, I believe, our first caller, Terry had spoken about putting too much money, converting too much money from a from a regular IRA into a Roth. Are there circumstances in which that makes sense as opposed to others? I mean, uh, do you normally recommend people do that? Depends on their what their tax bracket's going to be or what their tax bracket is. If they expect that their tax bracket in a particular year is going to be substantially lower than a tax bracket in future years, it might make sense to convert that Roth IRA now. If your tax bracket is going to be higher in, in subsequent years, may not want to do that. It, that's a that's a planning question and a rather complex one. It requires that people make assumptions about their income now and several years into the future. Cindy, do you see do you see any other variables or are you pretty much on the same page there? Um, I, I, I pretty much agree. Um, I think speaking for myself and most people, I, um, the, you know, Roth IRAs and IRAs are like, they're for retirement. And so the, the, the goal is that you would use those funds, get distributions when you retire, when you're in a lower tax bracket, right, than now. And so, um, and if that is your situation, then it may make sense to convert now when you're in, um, uh, well, convert now. And then what happens is if you convert from an IRA to a Roth, you don't get um, the tax deduction. However, oh, sorry, you do get the uh, you don't get the tax deduction. But when um, when it comes out, the distributions are all tax free. Um, so you're building on, you know, it, contributions all tax free. So it does depend on the the tax uh, payer. Uh, for myself, if I try to max out my Roth as much as I could when. Um, when I was a, a much younger attorney, um, I no longer qualify for that because of the income phase outs. If you have a Roth IRA, do they still have issues with distribution? Do you still have to have a mandatory distribution at age 70 or is, is it optional with a Roth? I don't believe there's any RMD with a Roth because it's not subject to taxation. It's the regular retirement plans, qualified and non-qualified plans that have the RMD. I don't. Uh, Sunil, am I correct there? I don't believe that's correct. RMD with Roth. That's in, correct. In preparing for the year end, should we be thinking about 1099ing people? And who do you really have to issue a 1099 for? Do you do it for your gardener or your housekeeper? Or? 
if you own a business and you pay someone to assist you in that business and you pay them $600 or more, you should give them a 1099 NEC, non-employee compensation. If you pay interest to someone on a loan, and I will say this with, and that interest is, is going to be deductible in one form or another. These days, personal interest is not deductible. So if there's a business interest that you want to deduct, you should send that person a 1099 interest form. If there are other forms of compensation that you pay that are not related necessarily to professional services, you might want to issue a 1099 miscellaneous form if it's a royalty or something along that line. So these 1099s are generally for business filers. Uh, I'll give you an example. I have a, uh, I've had clients where they have a, I prepared their business return and their personal return and their their business return is part of the personal return. It's the Schedule C. I bill them for my services. The business portion of their return can be very, very complicated. And so that fee, that portion of the fee, my fee is going to be deductible. They, I always suggest to them that they issue to me a 1099 for the entire amount of the tax preparation fee and then only that portion of the fee that pertains to the business end of things becomes deductible on their return. So play it safe and and report the amounts you pay your consultants, subcontractors, for lack of a better term. And, and Frank, as long as I've got you talking, do you want to take about um, one to two minutes for any closing thoughts you have? Any final advice? I think I gave that with regard to um, the complexity of the return. Uh, if you do have a complicated return, seek the help of licensed professionals. The, the tax laws are complicated. The changes are numerous and subtle. Uh, it's, it's even difficult for practitioners to stay on top of all of it. We have to look things up constantly. Uh, relying on tax software is not the best idea. Even tax preparers are not allowed to to state that they didn't make the mistake. It was the, it was the fault of the software. We can't do that. People with complex issues should engage a tax preparer. I, I know it's it's costly. It's um, it's a frustrating process. It's not a lot of fun. I think people would rather visit the dentist sometimes than visit their CPA or their tax preparer. But uh, an incorrect return can really cost a lot of cause you a lot of heartache and a lot of trouble later on down the line. It's much better to get it done right the first time. Thank you. And Cindy, do you have about maybe two minutes of any for your closing thoughts? Sure. For for individuals, if you need to get a new vehicle. You can buy an electric vehicle and get a um, electric vehicle tax credit at the federal level. The state also offers it as well, although there's some limitations. Um, there are energy credits. So if you're installing solar panels or um, other, in, um, other items in your home, 
um, you may qualify for an energy credit as well. For business owners, if you need a business vehicle um, for 2022, the, um, the IRS allows up to 100% deduction on a business vehicle if it's a heavy vehicle and there's vehicles that qualify for that. And if it's not considered a heavy vehicle, which is 6,000 pounds um, or sorry, less than 6,000 pounds, then you can um, get a, a deduction of up to $19,200 on a business vehicle. Um, and these amounts are higher than they have been in the past. And it's, it's the deduction percentages are going to go down in 2023. And so even though you're buying it in December, you get uh, the full deduction or the maximum deduction. Um, so those are my two tips for, for 2022. There's still time to this year. Is it really time to get an electric vehicle? I personally got an electric vehicle and, and you know, it's one of the, the most cost savings for me in terms of paying um, less in, well, I don't pay for gas, but the comparison, I pay much less. Um, and then also I'm going to get a tax credit of $7,500. And because I also use my car for business, I'll get a business write-off as well. So good decision for my myself. What about a plug-in hybrid? Does that work? Yes, plug-in um, hybrids can work as well, although the, the credits are less than a full electrical vehicle. There's a list um, uh, that's available. So if you Google it, there's a list of vehicles that qualify. So you just want to make sure that the vehicle you're buying is on that list. Thank you for that. You've been listening to our yearly tax preparation tips program on your legal rights. Our guests tonight have been Cindy Ho of Cindy Ho Law, APC in San Jose. Ms. Ho is a member of the taxation section of the California Lawyers Association. And Frank Adam of Pacifica, a great supporter of both your legal rights and our Call a Lawyer Night feature. Frank is a certified public accountant, an attorney, and a real estate broker. Thank you both for joining us. And to the rest of you, thank you for joining us. And please be sure to join your legal rights again next week, where, as always, we take your calls and answer your questions. Once again, thank you to both of our distinguished guests, Frank Adam and Cindy Ho. And our thanks to all of you for joining us. And at the controls, Joanne Marr. I'm Jeff Hayden. Good night. KALW is provided by the Bar Association of San Francisco. If you live in San Francisco or Marin County, the Bar Association's Lawyer Referral Service can arrange for you to meet with an attorney experienced in the area of law related to your situation. Call 415-989-1616 or visit sfbar.org for more information.